Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 31. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he is found. These words are true. And they can make you trusted. Let's pray together. Uh, maybe just even kind of put your hands out like you're receiving a gift representing the posture of our hearts before the Lord this posture is so important God I ask in your name that uh, man that you would seek out the people in whom they long to be close to you. I pray that you would minister to them, that they would see you as loving and 
they would see you as desiring them. God, you are the place where all beautiful things come from. You are the place where great music is made. You are the place where loving relationships are formed. You are the place in which wonderful food is dreamed and and brought into this world. You are creativity. You are art. God, you are the place where all the beauty comes from. In your name, Lord, I pray that the gap between us and what is beautiful would be closed, that we might just receive who you are. If you would, even now this morning, just ask, say, God, speak to me. God, speak to me. Pray for the people next to you. Ask that God would speak to them too. And if you would, pray that God would even speak through me. Lord, in your wonderful name, you do what only you can do. Let this be a beautiful moment where truth pierces deep into our hearts. In your name, God, amen. You guys are great. You can have a seat. Thank you, Josh, worship team. Thank you. I love that you're here early in the morning. It is good to have you. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited. In fact, as as the days grow shorter, Josh, I was thinking about this today as the days grow shorter, I'm up and the sun isn't even up yet and I got to drive in. And the truth is I always feel a little grumpy when I'm leaving. It's like, man, the sun's not even up yet. But then you get to watch it rise. It's not so bad. So nice. It's not so bad. And so I I love it. I love that I'm here with you all. I love that we get to worship together. If you would, open your Bibles. I'm excited to get into today's message. We're going to be looking at the prodigal son. So if you would, open your Bibles to Luke 15, starting in verse 11. We're going to be there today. Um, Man, as you're turning there, I just want to say I I love you. And I love that I get to be here and do ministry with you. Um, And it's going to be a great day of services all morning long. I'm excited about that. And, uh, and I love getting into the word of God. And so let's do this, man. Let's, let's study the word together. The prodigal son, um, for those of you that have been in the service for a while, you know that we've spent this whole last year going through the big story. We have it on the back wall here. The big story of Christianity. So, you know, uh, almost a year ago now, we, we kind of began this, our beginning, our origin, where we came from. The chosen ones, the story, you know, what it means to be the called out ones, how God started that with a group of people back in the old. Testament, the kingdom of Israel, how he established a kingdom that was supposed to be an example to the rest of the world that introduced uh, the rest of the world to God and his nature and who he is and his kingdom. Uh, And then we moved into the promised one. uh, And then kingdom come is where we're at now. We're talking about, um, man, what it means for the kingdom of God to come down to this planet. And Jesus, of course, is the perfect conduit for that to happen. And one of the parables that he shares is that of the prodigal son. And um, let me say it like this. The parable of the prodigal son represents the story of the world. It literally represents the story of the world. 
This is it. This is our story. The parable of the prodigal son represents the story of the world. And, and as we go through this, we read it just a minute ago. I want to read you the story again. But this time when we go through it, I would love it if you would listen close. Okay, so, all right, look at me real fast. Pay close attention. Pay close attention. It's going to tell us where we come from. It's going to tell us where all good things come from. It's going to tell us what went wrong with the world. It's going to tell us what went wrong with us in this parable. It's going to tell us what we need to do. In fact, it's going to tell us like literally the only thing that we can really do to begin to make things right, not just in us, but in, in the world again. And it's going to tell us what the nature of the greatest power in the universe is like. It's all packed into this story that we call the prodigal son. Okay, so as I read through this again, see if you can pick up on these meta themes. And he, he being Jesus, and he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one would give him anything. Verse 17 but when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, depending on the translation you're reading, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, it's like he interrupts him, right? Like, hold on. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and, and, and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came home and draw near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he is found. May God add blessing to his words. 
This scripture I have taught through quite a few times. And like so many of these amazing parables that Jesus lays out for us, I mean, it's like a prism, you know? This is the metaphor I've used with you all. And it's like the light hits the prism and you can take this, this different approach to each of these texts. And so we could go through this verse looking at like character studies, character study on the younger brother, character study on the older brother. We could look through this text and we could spend time diving into like the history behind this because it's very likely that this parable was a Jewish parable that Jesus retold in an updated, more God-centered way. We go into the history of it. We could look at the literary context. We could look at the historical context. We could look at just the the mountain of metaphor that's loaded in this. But instead, what I want to do today is I want to pull way above and I just want to take a meta perspective at this story. The big picture. One of the primary things that we see in this text is that sin is not merely, this is so important for us to remember, sin is not merely a bad decision. Sin is not merely a bad decision. It's a living evil force trying to pull people into it. The little brother and the older brother are portrayed as people whose hearts are coerced away from the father. The younger had this happen through rebellion, the younger through rebellion, and the older through entitlement. But the enemy's work is... The same desired outcome, that the heart be turned against the Father. The whisper of sin trains our hearts to define what is right and wrong on our own terms. That's what the enemy is constantly trying to do. His primary weapon that he uses against us from the tree in the garden to this wonderful parable that Jesus tells, one of the primary tools is the enemy of the enemy is try to convince us that we are the best ones to adjudicate, to decide what is right and wrong in our own eyes. In our modern world, you'll hear it like this. So when you watch TV, I was even watching a Disney, like my kids were watching a Disney family. They have these like shows on Disney. I am so not into TV. I don't even know what the show's called. But my daughter was watching a Disney show and I was walking by and I was listening to it. And it was loaded with, with phrases like this. In our modern world, you hear it like this. Phrases like, you do you. And so like the way the show, it's like a kid's show and it's portrayed as my parents are old and they don't understand. I just have to be me. And I was like, oh, wow, that's literally the lie at the tree woven into kids TV shows. You do you or be true to yourself or the heart wants what the heart wants. I mean, like all of these, right, they can all have this nuance or bend to them, which is really this idea that I'm going to trust my heart, my desires, my wants, my appetites over the father. In Genesis 4, 7 and John 10, 10, this is important. In Genesis 4, 7 and John 10, 10, sin is portrayed as a prowling predator waiting to attack. Have you ever watched like the nature TV shows where like you get to see like the lions hunting or the animals hunting and they're like back in the grass and you know you got like the little wildebeests out there hanging out and the little baby ones playing and then you're watching the show you know what's going to happen right so you're watching you're like no and it's just back there you can see the cat through the grass and his eyes ready to that's the metaphor that's the idea that sin is portrayed as is this prowling predator waiting to attack the picture is of a person 
who is hunted unaware. Okay, this is kind of a scary thought, but let me say it like this. Do you realize the enemy is hunting you? That's the picture in Scripture. The picture is a person who is hunted unaware. You can't be surprised by an attacker if you see him long in advance. In fact, one of the ways that I, I think that we could say this is we need to be really heart aware, really heart aware. Uh, have you ever, and if you haven't, you need to do this. My mom calls it like second level thinking. It's one thing to be mad. It's one thing to be bitter. It's one thing to have like an appetite that's out of control and be like, man, I'm really hungry. I got to eat. It's another thing to try to take like a step above that and ask the question, why am I angry? Why do I feel so much anger? Why am I bitter? In fact, in my accountability group, uh, we've been meeting since uh, late high school, actually, all the way through college. And we get together once a year. I've talked about them before. And uh, we've been talking about wanting to ratchet up heart awareness, aware of my heart. And one of the ones, I mean, just being really transparent, one of the ones that hit me that, I, that surprised me is like, I feel jealous. Like for whatever reason, jealousy is something I battle with. And I, I'm in my 40s and I'd not really thought about it. And so I'm telling the guys, like, you know what? When we, like, pause and go, how do I really feel? What are the things in me, the, 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 the dissonance in my heart? I want to name it. I want to point it out. I want to look for the lion in the grass and go, you, right there, that's hunting me. And so then the guys are like, okay, so why? Why? Like, what is it that the enemy uses? If that tendency to be jealous is in you, how does the enemy use that? You know, how does it get a hold of your heart? What's it doing to you? Being heart aware is incredibly important. And what we find in the text is uh, this. God gives the younger son. This is absolutely terrifying, right? Like you, you, have, you, have, a, you have a free will. God gives the younger son the rebellion he... God gives the younger son the rebellion he wanted. I don't know that there's anything scarier in this story to me. He gives the younger son the rebellion he, he wanted. And if you are set on rebelling against God, God will let you do it. Humans have freedom and they use it in really dark ways. I don't know if you've noticed, but like, did you know that there's like wars going on in the world? People are doing terrible things. I was uh, meeting with Pastor Kam Tanuk. Uh, he's the pastor. So at our downtown location, he pastors the refugees that we do ministry for. And Kam was like, I, was at, I had lunch with him this week. And I was like, Kam, is there anything specific that I can be praying for? And he was like, Pastor Mike, uh, with all of, he's got a strong accent. Pastor Mike, with all of the people, I'm not going to try to do it because it would just be bad. Um, He's like, with all of the bad things happening in the world, you know, Ukraine and Russia and Israel, like all the bad things that are happening in the world, um, I just need you to remember that those of us from Myanmar and Burma, right, like bad things are happening there too. Just don't forget us and please keep praying for us too. And it just dawned on me. I mean, like humans do terrible things to each other. 
And God gives these people to a level, the rebellion they want. Now, now it'll come to an end. There will be enough. Like even in the text, there are times over and over again when God's like, enough. And, and I got to be honest, even right now in history, and maybe it's because I'm getting older, I'm getting to the point now where, I mean, often, like I'm getting out of the car, listening to the news, or I'm heading, and I just think, man, Lord, just come. Does anybody else think that anymore? It's like, just come. When I was a kid, it'd be like, I want you to come, Jesus, but don't come till after I get married, right? And it's like, I want you to come, Jesus, but don't come until after I have kids. I want you to come, Jesus, but now that I got kids, you can come now, right? Like, I, I just... In this man, we live in this state where the more we become aware of what humans can do when their hearts grow far from the Lord, we just want the Lord to stop it. God gives the younger brother the rebellion he wanted. If you are set on rebelling against God, he will let you. Humans have freedom and they use it in really, really dark ways. Another thing I'd point out is this, God the Father, uh, he is, this is such an important theological idea, God the Father is the place where all beauty comes from. And when we rebel, beautiful things begin to dry up. That's what happens. We are made to receive only from the, we are made to receive what only the Father can provide. Like, like a car runs on gasoline, we are made to run on the love of God. So think of it like a cell phone. Um, you can charge a cell phone overnight. You can be present with the power, but when you unplug it, yesterday, Kara and I went and we were taking pictures. I told Kara, um, I was like my seven-year-old, number four in my lineup. I was going out on a walk with her and I was like, Kara, what I want you to do is I want you to look for beautiful things. Let's take pictures of beautiful things. So it was around sunset. So she's like, the sun, daddy, take a picture of the sun. So I was like, you do it. Take a picture, take a picture of the sun, take a picture of the trees, take a picture of some grass. Take, I mean, just random stuff that she, whatever you think is beautiful, take a picture of it. And I'm trying to like teach her theology in this. So I'm like, did you know all these beautiful things? Do you know where they come from? I know where they come from. All these beautiful things come from God, right? So like, but like a cell phone, I mean, my cell phone battery was drying up quick as we were taking pictures and videos and, and I have a lot of pictures I need to go delete, but that's cool. And, uh, and as my phone is unplugged, I get back to the house. I'm like, whoa, we went through like 25% of the battery. I mean, here's the deal. You can choose your own route for sexuality, but it's like unplugging your phone. Eventually, it's going to dry up. When you unplug from God, when you unplug from God, you can choose your own route for money. You can choose your own route for wealth, like what you're going to do with your wealth, how you're going to spend it. You can choose your own route for sexuality. You can choose your own route for like how you consume goods. You can choose your own route, what you do with your appetites. You can choose your own route and all of these things. But just like the prodigal son, when you separate out from God, it begins to dry up. That's what happens. In fact, we even know this at a larger level. I, you know, the, the entropic decay. Everything is in a state of finding like, you know, how he says all running out of energy. Everything around us is running out of energy. God is the place where all the beauty comes from. And when we stay plugged into him, that's where life comes from. And when you separate yourself from him, it begins to drain out. Uh, I wouldn't do this in the real world, but I've often thought, like I've had people come to me and say things like, uh, 
the church made me feel bad because of its way it views money or the church made me feel bad because of the way it views sexuality or the church made me feel bad because of the way it views and the church made me feel bad it's just such an interesting statement like knowing what is good and what is bad and what is like conviction and what is like shame and being able I mean there's so much in that statement but they'll say things like the church made me feel bad because of, or, or the Bible makes me feel bad because of. And I, I, it's like I reject, I reject God's view of money. I reject God's view of sexuality. I reject God's view of what I do with material things. I reject God's view of these things. And, and as odd as it sounds, this is terrible. I would never do this in a real counseling session, but I'll do it in front of lots of people, I guess. Um, part of me just wants to say, like the prodigal son, Go. See if you can make sexuality actually make your heart full in the end. See if you can make indulging in money however you want make your heart full in the end. See if you can make what you do with material things or your appetites. Go ahead, unplug from the source of what is truth and just run it into the ground and see if it works in the end. And then inevitably, like two weeks into it, they're like, I'm doing great. That's right, because there's still juice left in the battery. There's still the residue of good. But as long as you stay unplugged, it will drain out. And in the end, you'll be in a pit with a pig longing to be back home. Do you understand? Like that's what hell is. Hell is literally us longing to be whole and choosing to reject the only thing that can fill our hearts. Ever shutting down and getting darker and darker. That's why C.S. Lewis says, the keys to the door of hell, it's locked on the inside. God is the place where all the beauty comes from. Our hearts are made to run on him. And when you separate from him, it just begins to run dry. That's what happens. I love it. Proverbs 14, 12 and Proverbs 16, 25. They say this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way to. But what is, what is the first part of this? There is a way that seems to a man, but when you unplug from it, it's going to lead to. So there's that younger brother standing there, man, and he's like, I could use my dad's money in a way that would be way more fun. I could use my dad's money in a way that would be way more fun. Maybe he's even bitter as that. I don't know. It seems right to him, but in the end it will lead to death. That's what happens when we unplug. <clears throat> I'm going to invite Josh up and I'm going to pull some of these ideas together here. As with the older brother, and this is important, as with the older brother, we can see that it's possible. Oh, church family, especially this is like our early service. We have our services this morning, right, that we'll do. And this is the service. I mean, you guys are my, my, uh, my get up early, going to get to church, going to make it happen. Many of us, me included, we've been in the church since we were little kids. I mean, this, we're, the, we're, the, we're the good, you know, Christian. I mean, I love that. I love that about this group, right? So this is like just a little bit of a warning to us and this service specifically, right? Just a warning to us. As with the older brother, we can see that it is possible to count yourself with God all along and still be susceptible to a 
darkened heart. That's possible. Have you ever met those Christians? I mean, like as a pastor, I get, I get to meet them. They're the ones that like to email me. And it's like, gosh, you've been in the church for 40 years. How come every time I bump into you, all that seems to spill out of your glass is bitterness, anger, don't. It's like, what is wrong? Are you heart aware? Are you aware of your heart? Like, are you aware that there is a crouching lion or a tiger, a predator that's trying to whisper things in your heart to turn your heart against the Father? And this can happen even while you are still with the Father. That's crazy in his house, like in his church. Like, it's crazy in this text what's happening. Are you heart aware? Are you aware of your heart? Are you heart aware? I'm not asking, are you angry? I'm asking, have you paused to lay before the Lord? There is a hunting anger and it's taken me down. I need to know how to fight this fight. Are you heart aware? Is there a bitterness? Is there an out of control lust? Is there an entitlement? Are you heart aware? Another thing that's really important to note from this text is the father looks for and loves his children. The father looks for and loves his children. He, he just does. Like the older brother wants the younger brother, get him, dad, get him. He deserves it. He did some terrible things. He deserves it, dad. Get him, dad. Do you have any get him that you're aiming at people? Get him, dad, get him. Just take him out. They're your brother and sister. God wants them saved, not destroyed. I, I would maybe sum it up like this. The crafty enemy, the crafty, and I mean crafty on purpose. The crafty enemy will do everything that he can to convince people of three lies. These are the three lies. And again, I don't think these three lies are only reserved for this one parable or even that time in history. I think these three lies are the transcendent primary bushes that the enemy is hiding in. And he's, he's like, he's going to angle this to try to turn your heart against the father. He's going to angle this to try to turn your heart against your brothers and sisters. He's going to angle this, right, to try to keep you away from the father. These are the three bushes to go with the predator metaphor. These are the three bushes that the enemy often hides in. Are you ready? One, the first one is he's whispering this lie in your ear. I decide what is best for me. I often find it like this. When people, and this is how it works in Christians, people that call themselves Christian, this is often how it works. They'll say things like, I love the Bible's teaching on everything but. And that little place, that little, that little, that little but, that's the place where you think you're better than God. 
That's the bush the enemy is going to do everything he can. He's going to put all the energy behind that to support that. He's going to lead you to blogs that support it. He's going to lead you to people that are like, you're right. He's going to lead you to echo chambers. We're going, that's for sure true. That place where you go, I love God in all these areas, but that's the spot where you basically look at the Father and you go, you don't know, I know. And I promise you, that's the place the enemy is going to pour all the energy that he can into. I promise. I decide what is best for me. I don't need the Father, his wisdom, or my spiritual family. Like, I know what's best for me. With my money, with my talents, with my things, with my sexuality, with my whatever. The second bush that the prowling predator tends to hide behind constantly is this. I'm really good and deserve better, writes the older brother, the entitlement piece. Now, this is the person who it's like, and I, this is, okay, number two, this is the bush that like in my jealousy, this is the one that I can fight with. I need my accountability group to even hold me on it. But it's like, man, God is really blessing that person. Why not me? I deserve that's not fair. I want. I've done all these good things for God. Why can't I have? And it can look a million different ways. It can be the single person who's like, that's unfair that this person is able to get married, right? And, and you just grow bitter. The, the enemy pours, pours gasoline on that, like feeding and growing that fire bigger and bigger until you're just bitter. Or it could be like kids and not having them or having them. Or it could be like money and not having money, but you wish God would bless you financially. You always are thinking, man, God, if you would just bless my investments, I would do a way better job, right? Like, I mean, it's that entitlement of the older brother. It's just not enough. It's never enough. That's a place where the enemy, I promise the enemy is going to come at you. And here's the scary thing. The enemy can come at you with this one, well, you've been in the church the whole time if you're not heart aware. Like, whoa, there's something in me that's not just do I feel this way. I confess, I feel this jealousy or this entitlement. But then ask the question, why do I feel this? Why is my heart so sensitive to this? God, I need help with this. My heart, I may even be right about what I see, but it's doing something very dark to my heart. Help me, Jesus. The third one is this. The third one is this. And we bump into this a lot with people that have run from God, but they think I'm too broken or too flawed to come back home. That's a lie of the enemy. This is the kind of thing I often bump into in a counseling session or I bump into like in public. People will find out I'm a pastor and I'll have really interesting conversations sometimes. And they'll say things like, oh, pastor, I give no idea what I've done. I, I, can't, I can't come back to a church. And I think, oh, no, no, you don't understand. The Father is literally looking for you. And he wants to run to you. He wants to put shoes on your feet, a robe on your back, and a ring on your finger. Like, he wants you home so bad. But the enemy's going to do everything he can. So the enemy's trying to convince you you're right. The enemy's going to pull you away from the Father going to drain you out and then when you're at the bottom he's going to tell you you don't ever deserve to go home that's the tactic that's the tactic all right what is most dangerous to us a couple things just to 
put before you. What is most dangerous to us is not the sin we see, but the sin we... Oh, that's the dangerous one. This is why you need brothers and sisters. This is why you need to be in accountability groups. This is why you need to keep coming and have a heart that's teachable and be honest about the condition of your heart, right? Like, you are most vulnerable when you are spiritually arrogant and alone. By the way, arrogant, alone spirituality is really popular in this day and age. It's crazy. People are like, I'm gonna podcast sermons and I know we podcast sermons, so for those who listen to I love you. But if all you do is podcast, you're not participating in family. But what people do today in our modern world is we put ourselves in this, like we separate ourselves from others. We go to our homes, close our garage door, drive in, close our garage door within our fence and we're spiritually hungry and we'll read parts of the Bible that are inspirational and parts we don't like we skip and oddly the parts you're skipping might be the very thing that you need the most and then we podcast sermons and then when the pastor says something we don't like we just stop the podcast we can get up and walk out of the room right and then we go to the next one and we try to find the pastor that aligns with what we prefer the most that's probably the opposite of what you actually need because it's the sin you can't see that's most dangerous to you. You were made to participate in a family. Let me just ask this question, all right? And, and, and even now, Holy Spirit, by your grace, in your name, go before this question. Before I, before I ask it, oh, go ahead, sorry, sorry, go back, go back. One, there you go. Before I ask it, before I ask the question, um, well, we got, it, we got it up here. I'll go ahead and ask it. Where is the enemy working to twist your heart against the father, his ways, and the father's children? Just pause and be heart, heart aware. Where is the enemy working to twist you away from the father, the father's ways, and the father's children, your brothers and sisters. Where is the enemy working to twist you away from that? Be heart aware. So I'm driving down the road. This is the last illustration. I'll, I'll be out here. I'm driving down the road uh, a few weeks ago. I've been very aware of this, like heart aware, heart aware. My accountability group of guys, we've been thinking this through. I've been thinking it through with them, being very heart aware and um, entitlement, you know, like, cause I'm, I've, I am a hard worker. I'm a, I'm a type A driven task. You know, I mean, it's like, I got five kids at home. I'm trying to raise them well. I'm trying to be very intentional with them. I'm like working on my dissertation right now, finishing my doctoral work. I'm, you know, trying to lead this organization. I'm trying to step into these new areas. I'm like trying to get on. I mean, like I, I, I can be the older brother for sure. Like, and then, and then it's easy for me to feel like, well, God, I just need you to bless what I'm doing even more. Like, I mean, do I not deserve it? And I was driving down the road the other day. And so I'm, I'm confessing this, like to my accountability group, these different things. I'm like, wow, I didn't even know the, the, the lion was prowling for me there until I became heart aware. Like, whoa, my heart's dark here. 
and I see somebody else and I can get jealous of it. Or it's like I'm very aware of what's going on in my heart. I need you to be aware of what's going on in your heart. And I'm driving literally up this road a few days ago and the Lord reminded me, I went through some really hard days when I was like upper teens, early 20s. And the Lord like took me back to those like dark, dark days. And as I was driving up here, I, I just, I would be in a pit with a pig if it wasn't for the grace of God. Sometimes him even me, keeping me from the things I think I wanted were his grace. And as I was coming down the road, I felt so awash with gratitude. And I thought, I, I literally was in tears driving down the road and I thought, but for the grace of God, I reject the entitlement. I remember where I'm actually from. I'm honest about my real weaknesses and I'm grateful that God protects me at times from even me. And I thought about you all and this church and I was like, I thank you so much for letting me be with these amazing people in this amazing place. Thank you so much for letting me serve you and do ministry. Thank you so much for pulling me out of the pit with the pigs. And then it dawned on me, humility and gratitude before God is the only way to wholeness. And the enemy is going to do everything he can to pull out your humility and your gratitude. And then one last reflective question, and then I'll let you go. Where do you need to silence the enemy and assume a heart of gratitude and humility? Where do you need to silence the enemy and assume a heart of gratitude and humility? Um, even now, Holy Spirit, by your grace, don't let us be merely hearers of the word, but let the word do an eternal work in our hearts. I pray that everybody in this room and those that are listening online, God, I ask in your name that you would help them be heart aware. And God, give them the ability to bring those things before you. I'm just going to give you a moment to sit on that question.